Well, good morning. I'm Julie Coleman, and I am a member of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. And we are glad to have all of you here this morning. This service is going to be a little bit different than services we normally have here at New Hope. I shouldn't say normally because this is kind of a normal thing for us too. (laughs) But um, this is a uh, service that's going to be dedicated to prayer. It's something we do here at New Hope on a regular basis because we really believe in prayer and the importance of prayer. And so that's what we are going to be doing this morning. Um, Before we begin, I, I do have a secret to confess. I used to hate prayer meetings. Okay, my first real participation in prayer meetings happened when I was on camp staff up at Camp Berea Christian Camp, and I was a camp counselor. And we would spend, oh, I'd say half an hour giving our prayer requests, and then we'd look at our watch and say, oops, and spend five minutes praying for them. And I used to find that kind of silly, that we were kind of, you would think it would be in reverse, five minutes sharing and 20, 25 minutes in prayer, but it what, didn't ever work out that way. And I also would wonder, doesn't God already know about these needs? Why are we telling him them if he already knows what they are? And so do we think, like, he's going to forget? And we're supposed to remind him? Like, what is that all about? And it also, sometimes a little bit, prayer meetings would feel to me like a Christmas list. Okay, God, let's get started. I want this, 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 and this. And it just felt a little bit too much ASCII than it should, and I just, I, I was concerned about that. And I just kind of found it was kind of boring. And so I didn't like prayer meetings very much. Now, you might, now that you know my secret, you might think it's kind of ironic that I'm up here leading a prayer meeting, right? Um, don't panic. Um, I have changed my tune on the idea of prayer meetings and, and corporate prayer meetings. Um, but so we, before we begin to pray, I want to spend probably about 10 minutes, I hope. I only have three pages, so it's got to be 10 minutes. Um, and so I'm going to be just giving us a little bit of a, a thing to think about before we go to prayer together. Passages that talk about prayer, um, uh, something that can... Uh, help us as we go through this together. So let's start in prayer, and then I'll I'll, I'll spend a few minutes looking at some things in the Bible. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and I just ask, Lord, that with every word of your um, scriptures that we read today, that the power of them will impact our hearts and transform us. And we just ask for your blessing on this whole service. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start with reading uh, the very first intercessory prayer in the Bible. I made my husband guess which one, where that was, and he couldn't think of it. It it took me by surprise, too. The first intercessory prayer, somebody asking on behalf of others, actually took place, get ready for this one, in Genesis 18, which is thousands of years from creation. And it's the first instance we have of it. And it's where Abraham is asking God about, and you probably have read this before, but about the, you know, what if there's 50 people? Will you destroy the city then? And 30 people, will you destroy the city then? And it's this conversation between he and God. Um, just to give you a little background before we read the uh, part of the passage, we're not even actually going to read the prayer part. But in Genesis 18, Abraham had just spent the whole day entertaining some strangers. Well, the strangers were the Lord and two other guys, who we assume were angels. And uh, he, he had entertained them, and they had told he and Sarah that they were about to become parents. Now, God, God had already promised Abraham that he would be a parent 25 years ago, but this message was, it's this year. So it was a lot more specific than the first promise. 
And so they had just told him this, and now the guests have finished their meal, and they rise, and they're about to leave and go down to Sodom. And as they're leaving, this is what um, we see happen. Then the man rose up from there, oops, sorry, typo, it should be from there, and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Also that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now, never want to hear those words, right? And see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. So here's this interesting thing. What really struck me at the beginning of this thing, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And you kind of picture Abraham walking alongside the Lord, go, uh, I'm right here. I can hear you, right? Shall I ask? So anyway, it, it's kind of an idea. But I think God, of course, wanted Abraham to hear him say that. Why? I think he was drawing Abraham into the conversation. He was baiting the hook. Come on, come on. Should I tell you about all these things? You know, and what's Abraham going to say? Yes, of course, right? So he was baiting him. He was trying to bring him in. Um, like yesterday, my granddaughter came over uh, for a little visit uh, for a couple of hours, and she was kind of, you know, looking bored. And, and I, so I, I walked around the family room and I said, I wonder if anyone would be willing to do a puzzle with me. And I didn't mean Steve. Of course I meant Addie. <laughs> He's not very good at puzzles anyway. She is. But anyway, so she, of course, I, I do, I do, Grandma. Oh, good, good, good. So I got out the puzzles and there we went. You kind of get the feeling that's the way God is talking to Abraham in that same way. He's piquing his interest. And then he does something else. He reveals his purpose to Abraham. I'm on my way down to check out Sodom. The word is they're wicked, their sin is exceedingly great. Well, what does that information do, knowing God's purpose? It draws him in further. You see, Abraham had a stake in Sodom. His nephew Lot and their family were living in that city. And of course, Abraham hears Sodom, he's all ears, right? So, what do they, these two things that God did, what does it show us? That God was pulling Abraham in. He was getting him into a conversation with him. God wants us to talk with him. That's the first point I want you to get out of this morning. That he wants us to talk with him, and he wants us to talk with him on a one-on-one -on -one basis, individually. And I want to go one verse further into this uh, section of, of Genesis to see another interesting detail in this interaction. Genesis 18.22. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Now, that may not seem all that interesting until you know this interesting fact that I found. kind of blew me out of the water. We have a lot of uh, copies of Scripture. And back in the old days, they actually didn't have copy machines or scanners. And so, haha. <laughs> So anyway, but they, what they did was have was human copiers, scribes, and they would take the original or copies of the original and copy those copies and that kind of thing. 
They were very meticulous. They had all kinds of systems to figure out if they were doing exactly what the original said. And here's one of them I learned in seminary. They actually had a counting system. They knew the very middle word of the Bible, somewhere in the Psalms. And so they would count all the words. That must have taken a while until they got to that middle word, and if they didn't have the right number, they knew they had missed something when they were copying. That's how meticulous they were, okay? So they were meticulously copying every word, and if they did make any change, if they felt like, oh, this must be a mistake, especially if they were copying off a copy, this doesn't sound right, if they did, they noted the change so that we knew what the original they were copying said, but, you know, they explained it. But this is what I read. This was a, um, uh, uh, he's an OT scholar. Uh, his name is Bruce Waltke. He has a great um, commentary on the book of Genesis. I love it a lot. And this is what he wrote. Although the scribes attempted to keep the text correct, they sometimes changed it. According to their own notes, this is what the original text read. The Lord remains standing before Abraham. See the difference? It wasn't Abraham standing before God. It was the Lord standing before Abraham. This expression, Walkie writes, of God's condescension was so great, it seemed blasphemous to the scribes. If their note on the original is the correct reading, it suggests that the Lord is challenging Abraham to play the role of the judge, of the righteous judge. Isn't that interesting? So God places himself as the one being judged and Abraham as the judge. Just let that sink in for a minute. I mean, we're talking about God here. It's so interesting that he's placing himself into that role because he had just finished telling Abraham and Sarah as they were leaving the tent, as, they were, as Sarah was laughing at the possibility that at her age she could have a baby, he said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And you can almost hear it in this booming voice. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And of course, um, the answer is no. And so I'm sure Sarah was trembling a little bit over that little encounter. And now he's doing the exact opposite. He's placing himself as the one to be judged. Why? Why is he acting like he's no more than a mere human? Well, we can only guess, but I think it's so they could have this conversation. That if Abraham was to challenge God when he's almighty and standing as judge, you don't go to the courtroom and challenge the judge. I saw a Judge Judy episode up in Connecticut with my sister. She's a big fan. And this one lady was like, had such an attitude. And Judge Judy was like, what the heck? Stop, you know. Stop talking, <laughs> because she was like ruining her case because of her bad attitude. Well, you know, here's Abraham standing before God, but God gave him permission to ask the question that was burning on his heart. So he draws him into the conversation, and then he puts Abraham in a position where he can ask anything. I just think that's so cool. God wanted that conversation to happen. You know, the Bible tells us that God delights in his people. In Psalm 149.4, it says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. And part of that is in our conversation with him. He moved heaven and earth to remove our sins so we could freely 
interact with him. We can have real heart-to-heart talk with God and have no fear while we're doing it. This is what it says in Hebrews. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. He wants us to talk with him. He's made it possible for us to talk with him individually, one-on-one. But also, and this is my second point I want you to get, and last point, God wants us to talk with him corporately. Well, where do we get that idea from? There's really two places I could find. First is, and neither of them say, everybody get together and pray. It doesn't say that, but this is what it does say. In Hebrews 10.25, it talks about not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Hebrews is saying, look, get together, meet on a regular basis so you can encourage each other. And then we find the early church in the book of Acts in chapter 2, uh, verse 42, um, they said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So really four things that the church is supposed to be doing. Listening to the teaching, um, breaking bread together, which is what we do with communion, um, and uh, fellowship. We're really good at that one. And then finally, prayer. Four things we're supposed to be doing. So that's why we drag ourselves out of bed every Sunday. We're supposed to get together. And when we're together, we're supposed to do those four things. And among others, prayer. You know, we have a kind of an interesting set of commercials that have been on um, recent years. And it talks about families eating together. Have you seen them? Well, I'd like to say that Steve and I were real groundbreakers because that was a big priority in our family before any of those commercials came out. Um, When we were raising our children, we had dinner together just about every night with very few exceptions. Why? Well, you wonder, especially in the summertime, we'd see each other throughout the day. So, uh, you know, we'd talk each other and have little conversations here and there. What's the big deal about getting together? Something happens, though, when the whole family sits down together and has conversation with everyone there, sharing a meal. And they're also sharing a little of themselves, their thoughts, goals about their day. It makes the difference between a house full of roommates and a family. It's really important. And don't forget, we'd bow our heads together at the beginning of the meal to thank God for the food. And so we were all reminded, at least once daily, of where our provision came from, the roof over our heads, the food in front of us, and the fact that we had each other. All came from God. All good things. Well, you know what? We at New Hope, we're a family. We're a spiritual family, but we're a family. God wants us to interact with him together because like that family meal at the Coleman household, things happen together that can't happen individually. We remind each other as we pray what God means to us. As we praise him, we express our gratitude. We build each other up in purpose as we pray for the things in our church. We get centered together in a way that wouldn't happen while praying on our own. So we're today going to spend a little time praying together because those kinds of things are awesome and it's stuff that God wants us to do. So I thought we'd break the prayer time into three little, like three parts. The first part 
is going to be uh, when we're going to acknowledge who God is together. We're going to praise him for his character traits, his works, his love, his concern for the people, and many more things that you can think of about him. Then we're going to break with a song. And then we're going to spend time talking to God about our church's needs as a body, not individual people in the church, but body needs of the church, and then have another song or part another part of a song. And then finally, the third part is going to be when we're expressing uh, intercession for needs of individuals.